0: We jump right into... Before we uh jump into our sermon, I have a couple of quick things i'd like to run by you one um, if you uh, if you enjoy decorating for Christmas, one of the things i 'm really sick of hearing uh, in the community is really there's a church back there i was at the, was at the bank this past last week and I, I heard that again I, oh i didn't I didn't know that was a church, and i'm just like oh all right um Because it's, you know, the way our buildings are kind of laid out, you drive by and you just sometimes don't see it. But one of the thoughts that I had, and I had this last year as well, but I wanted to see if we can get on it this year. If someone enjoys decorating, um, we have beautiful pine trees lined up in the front on 42, and then the stone house. If if you get a couple of people, maybe a couple of you could take that on, and and we have a, a lift and... Uh, We could get some of our people to help as well, but maybe decorating those trees with all white lights, all those pine trees, and then really decking out that house. So when people drive down 42, they're like, "Wow, that is amazing!" You know, what is that? And we'll have little signs out. This is a church. Come on Sunday morning. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, But I think it's a great way to kind of draw attention to this property. That can easily you can drive by and these signs out here they're fine, but you know it's easy to just miss to miss them. So. Um, if you're interested in being kind of a decorator for us or kind of planning all that out, that would be great. I really appreciate that. A couple of the quick things, um, there's giving envelopes. It hopefully should be, unless the people at first service use all of them, which would be really great. Um, but there's envelopes there in the front of your seat, you know, I still don't want to pass around the offering plate, but a lot of discussion goes on in our church around, you know, Hey, you know, we don't really pass the plate around. You don't talk about it that often. So I forget. And then I need to catch up and it's harder to catch up when you spent your money at the end of the month to blah, blah, blah. So, um, the, the cards, I'm going to try to encourage, you know, during the service to kind of reach in front of you, take those cards out, you know, maybe fill your check out, and that will remind you there's boxes here and at that door um, each Sunday. We'll try to get in that habit. Because you know, the, obviously, the giving allows us to do the things that God has called us to do, and it's part. It's really giving is an act of worship. It's part of the worship service. So if you would just think about that this morning, and grab that card at some point during the during this time, and uh, fill that out, fill your check out, and or whatever you do, and stick it in there, that would be fantastic. One last thing, um, we went on a men's retreat yesterday. And uh, it went very well. Kevin put that all together for us, and it was a really relaxing time for a group of men to get out there and camp Kern. And we went on this, you know, this ropes course and the... the the, one of the, the ladies there, uh, women there, who was running the ropes course, made the mistake of telling us what the record was for getting up that ropes course, a couple of different ropes courses. And on a men's retreat, you just can't do that without being challenged. And so um, I, I just, not that I'm bragging, but I definitely am. Not that I'm bragging, but the, the record was by an 18-year-old college student who made it up in 34 seconds. Uh, and it was pretty tough. It was really, really difficult. Um, but just to let you know, Kevin, one of our pastors, who's 48 years old, so this guy can do it in 30 years, we want to hear from him, okay, what, when he does it in 30 years, did it in 31 seconds, okay, broke his record, yeah, all right, yeah, 31 seconds, yay for all the 40, 40s and up, but then the younger ones came along, and uh, Aaron, Aaron did it, um, Barker did it in uh, 28 seconds, and then Logan did it, Kevin's son, in 27.2 seconds. There's a little discrepancy whether he actually touched the top at the right time. With you know, we're not going to argue because we basically have gold, silver, and bronze, okay, from our church. Not that that kind of thing matters, all right. But you know, we told them we'll laminate, we'll laminate it for you and put it right on there so other people can try to challenge us. But uh, that was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. Um, If you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. It'll be up here as well. uh, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody, You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. We are continuing our series, Touch One. This is part one of this sermon, because I I wrote the sermon, and then in the first service, i was looking at the clock, and it was like two, three minutes left, and I had about 20 minutes to go. So I broke it down into two parts now. Okay. Part one. And then next week, part two, but this is, this is, we're continuing our, our real series on touch one. And last week we talked about what was holding us back from reaching out and touching lives. What was holding us back from, from becoming the the man or the woman that God has created us to be impacting the lives of those around us today, to build on our foundation from last week, I want to look at Paul's, what what Paul would consider, Paul's definition of success. How does Paul define success? This is extremely important. How does Paul define a successful life? We love watching Shark Tank at our house. Anybody like watch Shark Tank at all? You heard about it? Okay. Shark Tank is a show about entrepreneurs who come in and present their ideas in front of these millionaires and billionaires. And it's actually a negotiation. And, uh, and sometimes they engage in negotiation, and they come together, and they build a company together. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. One of the entrepreneurs is Kevin O'Leary. And, and Kevin uh, has nicknamed himself Mr. Wonderful. That's his n- nickname Mr. Wonderful. And Mr. Wonderful has a a definition of what is it to have a successful life? And he says this. Life is all about money. It's all about money. You want to be successful in life, you have to accumulate a lot of money. That is how he defines success. But even if you were to reach all of your financial goals... Every financial goal you lay out for yourself. Have you truly been successful in the eyes of the Lord? That's the question that we need to answer this morning. Have you truly been successful in the eyes of the Lord? What does it mean to be successful in life? And I want you to try to go back and remember a little bit of what we talked about last week. And I want you to see you weave that in, what we're talking about this morning. Weave those two things, those two sermons together. How do we measure Success in life and in ministry. How do we measure those things? How does God measure them? That's the question that Paul had to face in 2nd Corinthians. Here's what was going on. He had to defend himself against a, a, a group of critics who had virtually taken over the church. So, he, you know, he plants this church, he goes away, he has to do a lot of other things. And while he's away, this group of critics rises up in the church and begins to question Paul's integrity. They start spreading rumors about him, talking about him behind his back and trying to get people to turn against Paul, questioning his authority as an apostle. And they say things like, well, you know, Paul said that he was going to come and visit us. And then he doesn't come and visit us. He says one thing, but he doesn't follow through. What kind of man says one thing, but doesn't follow through? And they say things like, well, you know, uh, um, how do you actually know? I love this kind of thing. How do we know what Paul is doing with the money that he's collecting? How do we know what he's doing with the money that we've given him? Not that I'm accusing anyone of anything, but how do you actually know? It's like a bad political ad. You know, we're almost we're almost done with this season, but it's like a political ad. It's like, you, it's like they show their opponent with horns and you know and a tail. It's like you know you can't trust you know John Smith. You can't trust him. John wants to send every job in America, regardless of even if it's a lemonade stand, over to China. He wants to send all of our jobs to China. John hates his family, and he'll hate yours, too. John throws rocks at small children who come too close to his home. (laughs) That's John Smith. You can't trust the guy whatsoever. That's basically what they were doing. Paul's not there, and they're, they're laying him down, you know, weighting him down with all these things. How can we trust this guy? How do you know? How do you know what he does with money? How do you know what he does with this? And so that's what Paul is dealing with a group of critics in the church who are literally trying to take over the church and question Paul's authority. Quite basically, saying, You know, you, what, what is your life? How do we know that you're successful? How do we know you are who you say you are? And this is what Paul has to do. Paul has to respond. These critics are trying to undermine his life and his work, his ministry life and his, just in his work. Part of Paul's answer is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, where he, declare, where he basically declares that the real, the, the real measure of ministry comes through changed lives comes through the lives that have been impacted, that he has impacted through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That is how Paul responds. He says the measure of a successful life are, the, are the, the, the touch points, the lives that you have touched, the lives that you have impacted through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Now you may be thinking, well, you know, how does this really apply? I'm not sure this applies to me because I'm not a minister. You're i'm a pastor jeff. You're a minister, but i'm not a minister. That's not true we keep talking about the whole false idea of secular sacred Everyone here if you know jesus christ is a minister Every member is a minister every believer in jesus christ is a minister The only question is where i'm a minister here at grace chapel and in my community And I try to minister around the world in different ways, but i'm a minister at grace chapel You are a marketplace minister you, market, you, you minister in the workplace with the people around you. You pray for them. You bless them in ways. You encourage them. You support them. You try, to, you try not to cheat them. You try to build them up. You try to encourage them. You know, whatever their needs are, you're trying to meet needs in the marketplace. If you're not, you should be. A a marketplace minister you're a minister in your school on your campus. You're a campus minister You go to junior high you go to high school even younger and your college and you try to minister to people on your campus You try to build into their lives because you're a minister wherever you are. Maybe it's in your home You minister to your family You make sure they're taken care of you make sure they have all they need to be successful in life You set everything up you lay it all out. You're investing in love and and compassion and, and, and patience with your family you're a minister at home. Every single person here is a minister And so paul says how how are we? How are we successful? How how do you measure success? It is in the lives that you impact wherever you are They're attacking him and questioning his apostolic authority. They're questioning him his integrity They're questioning him in his character And this is what he says back how do you measure success? How do I, I don't have to defend myself in the way the world does. Here is how I defend myself. And this is how God defines success as well. My friends, it's not, it's, not it's not about beautiful buildings and, 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 and popular programs. It, it, it's, it's not about uh, big budgets and, and, and fancy titles. You know, I, even, in, even in ministry, I run into people sometimes. Thank God it's not here. But I run into people in other ministries and, you know, different groups, different, different uh, parachurch ministries. Or, and, and they're so consumed with what their title is going What's my title? I, need a, I, need a, that, I don't like that. that. That title doesn't suit me. I need a title that expresses who I truly am. It's not about titles, and it's not about big budgets, and it's not about building a reputation. It's not about how, and in the world, it's not about how much money we, we have in our accounts and our portfolios. and it, it's, 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 not about, it's not about how popular we are at school. It's not about how famous we are in our own little worlds. Everybody's famous in their own world. How many people here who know who Rick Warren is? Anybody? know who Rick Warren is? Yeah, a lot of people, a whole bunch of people. Probably one of the most famous pastors in the world um, in one of the largest churches in America. And only some of you know who he is. He's famous in his world. And, but the thing is, that's not, that's not what defines... I love Rick Warren. I'm not picking on him. That's not what defines success, and he would totally and utterly agree with that. That's not how we define success. Paul says those things are inadequate measures of success. They're inadequate. But we chase after those things. He says in 2nd Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1: Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, his critics, do we need letters of recommendation to you or from you? Letters of recommendation he's laying out are basically letters that apostles or teachers um, of the gospel, leaders of the gospel, uh, preachers of the gospel would take with them because there were so many false teachers. There was so much going on that people would come into a church and say, yes, I am a follower of Christ and I am an apostle or I am a I'm a leader. I, I, I teach the gospel. I preach the gospel. And people were going all around. There was all so many false teachers that you had to have letters of recommendation from where you were trained, the church you were sent out from, and all these things. So Paul's like, do I, do I, wait a second, do I need to send letters of recommendation to you or do I need to get one from you? He's writing to the church. Paul says, I don't need to boast. I I, I don't, I don't need a letter of reference to prove the validity of my ministry or my life. Now you can just see him writing, You know, trying to be compassionate, trying to be strong, but also, even when being attacked, trying to teach, trying to explain what's what is important here. How uh, here's how I am. Def- here's how Jesus defines success. I'm a follower of Christ. Follow my examples. I follow the example of Christ. I am helping you define what success is. Here's what success looks like in the life of someone who follows Jesus Christ. And this should be your criteria for success as well. Now, he says, I don't need to back up my 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 apostleship or, you know, my authority by a letter of recommendation or anything else. But it's interesting in our culture. That's not that's not how we do it. Someone challenges us or wants to know. What we do is we, we pull out our, our, our credentials, uh, what, what business experience background we've had, how many times we've been promoted. We pull out our certificates. We pull out our trophies. We pull out, you know, all these things. We lay them out. We have our portfolios to prove I'm successful. You want to know? Here's my Here it is. This proves my success. Paul says, I'm not rolling all these things out for you because that's not the, the ultimate definition of success so one of the things that our the city of cincinnati that's one of the sins of our city self-promotion if you think about it think about it as you leave here you look at it you look at this culture of cincinnati and actually that i deb deb was the first one my wife deb was the first one who brought this to my attention i had seen it in different ways and she had kind of pointed it out and then we we we, uh, talked to someone who had done a study on different cities and it is We are one of the this is one of the area this this area and they don't call it a sin But one of the things about our area is that we are big into self-promotion individuals in in our in our city are big into self-promoting And it's something we need to work on We got to make sure if that's the culture around us We got to make sure that culture doesn't permeate the church and we become like our culture We need to make sure that we keep humility that when, we, when something great happens at our church, we're pointing people to Christ. Look what Jesus has done through the body of Christ here. I think we've done that in the past. We want to continue to do that. Because the, the, what happens is it permeates, like I said, permeates the church. Paul For Paul, letters of recommendation, approval, and, and the, re- the recognition of others, all, all of these kinds of things, the applause of the world, this is not... How he measures success this was not his definition or measure of success what mattered to god what matters to god And to paul are changed lives changed lives there it is Okay, all these other things that everyone else will hold up as you know How do you prove how can you prove to me paul's response to his critics is changed lives Do I need to do I need my letter of recommendation to you or from you? Do I really have to pull all these things out of how I can prove my authority and that I'm an apostle? No, what he says is, I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you through changed lives. He explains in verses two and three. And if you have never underlined this in your Bible or written this verse down, write it down. Write it down because as I said last week, if we don't get these, if we don't get this first part down that what I'm preaching on now over the next couple of weeks, if we don't get this part down, I'll, I should just end the sermon series and go on to a different sermon series because I want to lay out to you. A five year plan of how we're going to impact locally and globally. And it will be a plan, I believe, that will have your hair kind of standing up on end going, are you kidding? Are you serious? We're gonna, that's what we're gonna be engaging in to try to help and and reach out to our, our community locally and globally. But in order for us to even believe, have any sense of belief, or the faith that we can do that. We need to build this foundation. We need to understand what we're we're talking about here. And Paul says, how do you judge a successful life? It is by changed lives. And he explains it in verses 2 and 3. If you have your pen, write it down in your Bible, underline it, whatever you need to do. He says, you yourselves are our letter. I love this passage. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. Everybody, everybody around here, everybody who sees you understands what I'm talking about. The transformation that's taken place. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. What a fantastic response. What a, what a, you know, a pastor in, uh, uh, that I knew years and years ago, um, he, he said to me, when you go through, when you get challenged or something happens in your church that's challenging or difficult or people don't understand, because you have to teach your way through it. You need to teach your way through. it. Don't get all worked up. Don't teach your way through it. Look what Paul is doing here. You, he could have written and said, you know what? Take those people that are challenging me and go beat them with a stick or stone them or something, you know, whatever. No, he didn't lose his temper. He He basically says, you yourselves are a letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. Awesome. Obviously referencing the Old Testament, referencing the Ten Commandments. As far as Paul was concerned, the real proof of ministry was changed lives through the Spirit of God. The real proof of a successful life is changed lives. It was the changed lives of those who heard him preach the gospel. He comes in with boldness and with power and without fear and he preaches the gospel and he says, "The, the, the measure of my success comes in the changed lives, the transformation of those who have heard me speak about Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God living in those people as he preached the the gospel, the power of the Spirit touched those who listened. So they believed in Jesus Christ and their lives were radically, dramatically changed. That's how he measured it. He said, look, look around you. Who, who, who started this church? I can name this person and this person. I could talk about that person and this person. Look around you. Now let me give you a little more background to to kind of pull this together. I think it gives you a better understanding. When you know the background a little better, you have a better understanding of the kind of power behind what Paul is saying. There is a power behind this. And here's why. Corinth was a pagan city. I mean, it was a pagan city. It was was known for its, its sensuality, sexual immorality. It was a seaport town. OK, and in a seaport town, you have all these ships coming in all the time. You know, you, you, you know, pirates, you know, come on in or whatever else. You got people from all over the world coming in when they hit them. When they hit that land, all of a sudden, you know, everything, everything lets loose. It had a reputation of sensuality to the point that if you wanted to say someone was living an ungodly life, this was an ungodly person, you said they were Corinthianized. And that said, that they they just gave in to their their physical appetites, whatever they were. And you can use your imagination and everything you can imagine was happening at Corinth. This was a den, okay, of iniquity. How is that a good way to put it? This was debauchery at its best. This was going on. This was the place. uh, You know, you can say Corinth was a place where you could truly say, anything goes, man. Anything goes. This is where Paul, these are the people Paul is writing. This is where the church is. This is who he's writing to. So when the gospel entered with its promise of life-transforming power through Jesus Christ, sinners were coming to know him the sinners were coming to know Christ sinners were being changed. They were being converted and some of them were like I said Radically transformed so you have these people you're walking into this den of whatever goes on Paul is preaching the gospel in preaching the gospel people's lives are being transformed right before their very eyes People in the Corinth could see this what on earth is happening here? Did we know this person how how did he go from there there to here? How is his life so changed? So paul's laying it out paul paul wrote about this about the state of corinth in in first corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 and 10 Here's what he said Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of god? Do not be deceived Neither the sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers or male prostitutes nor homosexual offenders nor thieves nor the greedy nor drunkards nor slanders nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But see, he lays that all out. But that's not the end of the story. Here's the transformation. This is not the end of the story. Verse 11, look at what it says in verse 11. And that is, and we could all raise our hands in some areas, some of you, you know, different than others, but some would stand up and say, yep, yep, I'm in that list, I'm in that list. But this is what he says in verse 11, and that is what some of you were, were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Of our God The foundation of this text is laid In the first phrase of verse 11 I'm going to read it to you again And that is what some of you were There's the power That is what some of you were We can make a list I could pass around a piece of paper And you could write down some of the things Some of the a, a, a sinful um, Offensive things that you have done In your life before Christ We can write them all down I can read them off and We have adulterers And we have this And we have those And we have liars And we have cheats And we have tax evaders whatever the case may be we write it all down and what paul would say in his in his defense and saying what matters in life is the success of seeing transformed lives he'd say that is what some of you were that is what some of some of you were in those eight words we find the power of our faith In those eight words, we find the power of our faith. Our faith is first and foremost a religion of conversion. People are transformed. They are taken from one place to another place. They are transformed. The old person is dead. The new person has come. We've been transformed. That is the foundation. It's transformation through the love and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Christianity was built on the truth that what you were before once you come to jesus christ you you are you are you are not the same person you don't have to stay the same person it doesn't matter what you were once you ask christ to come into your life you don't have to be the same person and that that translates all throughout our christian lives all throughout our christian lives it doesn't just happen at conversion and it's over it's sanctification it's an ongoing process. And so Christ comes into our lives and we can say, you know, one of the things I do not like at all is when people are labeled. People love to label other people. Well, I'll tell you, that Jeff Creer, he's so this or he's so that. Yeah, maybe 10 years ago. They say it about you. When someone says, you know, God, he's so arrogant. Well, have you, when's, the, when's the last time you talked to him? Oh, it's been a couple years. Well, how can you stand here and say he's so arrogant if you haven't talked to him in a couple of years? He has the spirit of the living God in him. He has the Holy Spirit working on his life. He's being transformed from the inside out. How can you say he's arrogant? I've talked to wives whose husbands have come to know Jesus Christ and they're saying, this is not the same man I married. The other night I was standing in the kitchen and he asked me if he could do the dishes. I nearly fainted. Transformation. A changed life. The old has gone. The new has come. That's what we're talking about here. Your life, your life can be radically transformed by God. The miracle of conversion happens. The miracle of conversion happens when the life of Jesus Christ collides with our humanity. That's what happened to me a long time ago when I was 17 years old. For 17 years I lived one way and then my life collided with the life of Jesus Christ. My humanity, my sin collided with the life of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit came into my life. And there was transformation. There was radical transformation in my life. If you went back to where I grew up in the apartment complex, I grew up in New York and you did an interview with people who don't know me now. And you said, you remember this guy, Jeff Greer? Oh yeah. I remember him. Tell me about him. Tell me about if they, if The people that knew me intimately, tell me about him. If you took what they wrote down, if you took an interview from when I was 17, 18 years old, and you took an interview of people who know me now, if you took an interview of people who knew me at 17 and then at 27, there would be a radical transformation. That is what Jesus Christ, that is the miracle of conversion. That is the miracle of colliding with Jesus Christ and having him transform your life. That's what Paul is talking about here. Once god enters the picture your life will never be the same Once you have an a conversion experience in jesus christ Once you truly make him lord and savior of your life. Your life will never be the same again Some of you are sitting here and you may be thinking, you know, this is really neat boy He really gets worked up. My other pastor didn't get worked up that much. I kind of like it keeps me awake I've been coming to church all my life, and most of the time I'm snoozing. It's hard to snooze here at Grace Chapel because you know, he's always getting carried. He's always getting excited, and I, it kind of wakes me up. And so that's a little better than falling asleep the whole time because I've been in church my whole life. I've been through all these things. I come to church, and you think to yourself, I'm a, you're a pretty good person. You think of yourself as a good person. Maybe you're coming in and you you dabble around in spirituality. So you think of yourself as a spiritual person or you think of yourself as a religious person. Because when you were when you were at this age, they baptized you. And when you were that age, they confirmed you. And when they were that age, they did something else in you. And I don't care if it's Catholic church or the Baptist church. And, you know, I got baptized when I was whatever and all that kind of stuff. And so you see yourself as a religious person because you've been through all these religious kind of rituals and everything. But let me tell you something true transformation comes in only one way when your heart is given over to jesus christ When jesus owns your heart when he lives in your life when he lives in your heart When you when you have the holy spirit indwelling you and, and the holy spirit is transforming you from the inside out You are only changed from the inside out when you have an experience when you have a collision with jesus christ Being good and being religious and being spiritual and all these things don't matter for a hill of beans. What matters is a relationship with Jesus Christ. We change it from the inside out. Now, whether you're in junior high or high school or an adult here, I want to ask you, who is the Lord of your life? Because you may be religious. So I want to know, who is the Lord of your life? Well, some people say, ah, Jesus is my Savior. Well, if He's not Lord, He's not Savior. So let me ask you a question. When I'm asking you, who's the Lord of your life? And a lot of people say, well, Jesus is the Lord of my life. Who determines what you watch? Who determines what you watch when you get on the computer, or when you go on TV, when you're watching TV, when you're watching anything? Who determines what you watch? Do you determine what you watch or does Christ determine what you watch? Is the word of God so permeated your life and heart that when, when you sit down to engage in watching something, the criteria is, it's really funny. It's, but it's really funny. I love watching this cartoon with the guy, mo- but he mocks Christ sometimes. And it's, but, it, but, it's, but wait, 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 wait. Really, it's, fun. it's really funny. It's really funny. What music do you listen to? I'm not talking about style. You, you can listen to rap. You can listen to jazz. You can listen to rock. You can listen to whatever. I'm talking what music do you listen to? What, what are they saying in the music that you're listening to? Who decides? Who determines what you listen to? You? I don't want to get carried away. You're being so legalistic. I'm not, I didn't say any, I didn't tell you what kind of music to listen to. I'm asking you a question. Who determines, how do you determine what music you listen to? See, if he's the Lord of my life, then his indwelling determines what decisions I make, what I watch, what I listen to, what I say, where I go, what I do. All, all, it determines all these things. Who determines, okay, who determines how you dress? What are you mean you're talking about? Well, why, why are you why are you battling with your parents over what you dress? Why are you having a battle? Oh my, you I think the skirts a little too, well, I think the bot tops a little too. oh, well, you I can't believe this. That's what everybody else is wearing. Um, wait, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and He's the Lord of your life, and. Honestly, you shouldn't even have this debate with your parents because they're not jesus and they're not god You have a relationship with god You need to go and ask the lord of your life How you should dress and how you should what you should listen to and what you should watch This is not going to be a debate I don't need my you don't need the pastor of grace chapel to tell you what you should watch You have the lord of your life who determines those kinds of things for you as you interact with him This isn't legalism. It's called christianity. It's called having a relationship with jesus christ these things are important. These things are extremely important. Who is the Lord of your life? Now, think about this. So you have, you, you have, you, a little side, that was a little side note, but you have now Paul, and he's in Corinth, okay? And he's interacting with all these people, and, and, and you have to understand, again, what the context is and where he is in Corinth and all the things that are going on. And I'm saying to you that Paul is communicating, how do you, what, what does a successful life look like? It is, comes from changed lives. And so you have Paul in Corinth. Can you imagine, and apply this to your own life at work or in school, that, that kid in school who's foul mouthed or he's whatever else and you think he would never come to Christ. He, he's a Corinth kind of guy, okay? So Paul's in Corinth. He's preaching the gospel and all of a sudden one of these idol worshipers, who most, spends most of his time worshiping Aphrodite, the, the, the goddess of love. And you have, all these, you have this temple filled with prostitution, all kinds of horrible things going on in there. And this is where the guy is spending his time. Paul comes in with the gospel. Paul walks in. What is the most important thing in life? Transformation of the lives of others. And Paul speaks into this person's heart. And all of a sudden, he doesn't show up at the temple. And all his friends are saying, hey, where were you last night? I'm not going anymore. What do you mean you're not going anymore? Let me tell you what. I spoke to this guy. His name was Paul. And and I have to tell you, he, he shared Christ. He shared the love of Jesus Christ with me. And, And uh, this is not how I can, I'm not living my life this way. I'm no longer worshiping at the altar of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, and engaging in this behavior anymore because I have Christ in my life. Can you imagine the impact of someone who's been living that way all their lives and now they're sitting in church? They're sitting in church and, and they're growing in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying, hey, you want to know, you want to hear my foundation? You want to challenge my authority? Let me show you what it is. He's sitting right there. She's over here. She's there. He's there. They're there. The whole family's over here. Remember this family over here? Remember they were into witchcraft and all this kind of stuff, and they were going on castings. Look at their, Look where they're sitting now. And he's saying, look at the lives that have been transformed. Maybe it was one of those priestesses who came in, and she was... She was um, she, the prostitutes who are priestesses, they, 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 they give away their bodies for this, this worship that's going on. And all of a sudden, she doesn't show up to work. She's no longer engaged in this kind of behavior. And her friends say, where were you? Where were you? I don't understand. And she says, I'm no longer going to live this lifestyle. Jesus Christ has entered my life. And what would happen is someone, some of his friends, the idol worshippers' friends, and some of her friends would say, you're, that's ins- you're, you're, you're an idiot. What are you, what are you talking about? I like this lifestyle. I want to do this. But I'll tell you something else that would happen. Other people around them, as the Holy Spirit would teach their hearts, those people would have an influence on other people and other people, and lives would be totally transformed. How do you think Christianity grew? By beating people into submission? By saying, you can't have a job and you can't do this and you can't do this unless you become a Christian? No. Christianity grows by the transformation of the lives of others. That's what Paul is saying. This is why it's most important. When you see people's lives transformed, when you or I touch a life and that life becomes transformed and that man goes home to, his home to his own house and he leads his wife to Christ and he leads his children to Christ and they grow up and they lead other people to Christ and, it, and it's a transformational life. That's what Paul's talking about here. This is what matters True conversion takes place when God changes the tenses of our lives. This is what you were. This is what you are. Isn't that incredible? Somebody say amen to that. This is what it's about when God changes the tenses of my life. This is what I was when I was 17 years old. And this is what I am. Some of you have that same testimony. This is what I was last week. This is what I am today. This is what I was a year ago, but this is what I am now. This is who you are. This is what you were, and this is what you are. This is who you are. That, my friends, is the measure of success. That is how God measures success, one person at a time, touching one life at a time. I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. Why is it so important that we understand what I talked about last week? If you weren't here, get one of the CDs. But why is it so important that we understand what we talked about last week and this week? Because you are not the only person who needs you to believe it. You are not the only person who needs you to believe this. You were created for a purpose purpose for a specific reason you have been designed by god to touch lives with your uniqueness with your giftedness you have been designed by god to reach out and minister to people at your school like no one else can like by people at your in your workplace like no one else can by people in your church, serving in your church like no one else can. You are not the only person who needs you to believe this. Do you want to be successful in your life? It comes in the transformation of others, one life at a time, one person at a time. This is what Paul's talking about. That's what Paul uses to silence his critics. This is what Paul uses to silence his critics, the power of the gospel, the power of discipleship, the power, the power of a transformed life. You cannot argue with a transformed life. You can, you can, you can, you can, you can create all kinds of reasons why. I'll just pick on myself. Why Jeff Greer is where he is today? You can say, well, he he finally realized that uh, whatever, and blah blah blah, yada yada yada, and you cannot psychologically explain how a person whose philosophy of life was, I hate everyone I don't know, and I hate most people I do know, who was bitter at the core by the time I was 17 years old, who, given an opportunity to harm someone intensely that had bothered him in the past when no one was around, would certainly have taken that opportunity, and I don't really care what the end result would have been, who was petrified, Fear beyond your wildest imagination of standing up in front and talking to anyone who sat with his chair against the back wall to keep everyone in front of him, who really got saved because he put himself at the top of the stairs so he could keep everyone in front of him and couldn't get out of the house when they started talking about the gospel. God used all of that to bring me to himself. You cannot explain Here's what you cannot do. You cannot deny a transformed life. And some of you, all of you who know Christ, have that transformation going on in your life. If you don't, then you need to ask yourself, Lord God, come into my heart. Let your Holy Spirit work in my life in an even more powerful way. I want to submit myself to you. Paul was saying you challenge me you critics challenge me My letter of recommendation is written on their hearts Seen and read by everyone undeniable my authority my apostleship my Is undeniable not because I can hand you a piece of paper. I'm not even going to defend myself myself I'm, just going to show you touched lives I'm going to show you how I touched this one. I'm going to show you how I touched that one. I'm going to show you how I touched this one through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what Paul, that's how Paul responded. Jesus has the life-changing power to utterly transform your life. This is what he did in the life, lives of the Corinthians. This is, this is what Jesus did in the life of the Corinthians. This is why Paul can stand up and argue the way he argues. And, and Jesus Christ can do the same thing in your life if you will allow him to. If you've been muddling around in religion your whole life, but never feeling the power of God, questioning, does this really all work? I know I've got to go, but I don't really see the power in it. If you've been spiritual, but you, it's like, you know, God's somewhere out there. If you've gone through the motions, but have been robbed of the power then just bow your heads with me as we close. Bow your heads with me. The same transformational power that changed those in Corinth can change those in Mason, in Westchester, in Lebanon, and wherever you come from. It can change your heart and your life. But it's time for us to Make Jesus not just the savior savior of our lives, but the Lord of our lives. I'm talking to believers who have been going through the motions, living a mediocre Christian life, have been lulled, lulled to sleep. I'm asking, dear God, that you would wake them up, that you'd set a fire in their hearts, God, that you would you would set their heart ablaze for you, that if they've never truly understood what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that their lives have never been truly transformed, Lord God, that you would move right now, that you'd begin to move in their hearts in such a way that no one around them would understand it, that it is undeniable the transformation that is taking place in that person's life. God, I pray that for every single person here why is that so important because when our hearts and our lives are changed when we truly make Jesus Christ the Lord of our lives we have a desire a passion a drive a burden to go out and touch the lives of others and until that happens we will sit idly in our chairs powerless But when Jesus comes in and the Holy Spirit begins to work, there's undeniable power. We cannot sit idly by and watch our friends at school perish. We cannot sit idly by and watch those at work, those around us suffer. We cannot sit idly by and look at a world that is, that is suffering and, 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 and hurting and abused and just turn away and say it's someone else's problem. Someone else will do the job. No one else will do the job because God designed you to do the job. God put you in that office to do the job. God puts you in that school to do the job. It's no one else's. It's yours. He's handed it to you. Holy Spirit of God, fill us with your power fill us with the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Let us truly understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, where true conversion transforms our lives and leads us to one conclusion. We must reach out and transform the lives of others. God, we give you this morning. We give you our lives. We give you not just today, but the days, the months, the years to come and ask dear God that as we we lay out the plan that you have for us, we would have the boldness, the faith, the passion to follow it through. To crush every giant that stands in our way. To overcome every obstacle that Satan tries to put there. That we would overcome because you have overcome. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Have a incredible week.